Welcome to the Brain Health Revolution podcast with your hosts, Aisha and Dean Sherzai. This episode is a conversation with our brilliant friend, Dr. Howard Jacobson, who is an author, trainer, and an educator specialized in coaching and behavior modification. Howard has co-authored many books, including Sick to Fit, and is a contributing author to the outstanding book, Proteinaholic, among many others. He's also the co-founder of Wellstart Foundation and the host of the Plant Yourself podcast. This amazing conversation was focused on behavior change, truly understanding what it means to change habits, understanding the origins and promoters of one's current habits, and cultivating permanent healthy ones. This conversation was broadcasted live to our audience in the Brain Health Revolution online forum. The Brain Health Revolution is a group that we created last month with the goal to empower individuals with tools and resources on a daily basis to help them incorporate brain-healthy habits into every facet of their lives. Members will connect with other like-minded individuals, support one another in their journey, get access to daily posts and videos on brain health, participate in weekly polls, live Q&As, live cooking sessions, get summaries of the latest research on brain health in a palatable way so they are up to date, and learn how to navigate the often confusing realm of science and evidence-based medicine, submit monthly success stories, participate in brain health challenges, watch live podcasts and Q&As, dance sessions, get access to annual Brain Health Revolution conference, community highlights, and so much more. For more information and to join the community, please find the link to the Brain Health Revolution in the podcast notes or visit at the Brain Health Revolution on social media. We hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. So welcome to a phenomenal conversation with my dear friend, Dr. Howard Jacobson. We've known each other for a few years, right, Howard? I mean, how long has it been? Probably like four, probably. Four, right? The first time we met was at the American College of Lifestyle Medicine Conference. And I remember Howard coming in with this beautiful smile on his face, all excited. And he came in and he introduced himself. It's been an amazing conversation with him until uh, since then. So we're, we're very, very lucky to have him here with us. We're excited that he agreed to come in and speak to us about something that he's basically spent all of his life understanding and practicing and helping hundreds and thousands of people, which is behavior modification and healthy habit creation. Um, Dr. Howard Jacobson has uh, written multiple books. Uh, So he's an author, he's uh, a coach, he's essentially a lifestyle guru, and he's been really putting out a lot of amazing content through his podcast, on his social media channels. And I don't know if you can see, maybe not today, but he's a great musician too. I usually can see the guitar in the background, but not really today. No, this is this is the room I don't air condition, so the guitar wouldn't survive. Okay. All right. Well, Howard, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm sure that I speak for everyone here in the group. They're really excited to have you here. Some of them already know you because you graced your us with your presence in the 30-day Alzheimer's Solution group. 
and you spoke with us and it was such an amazing conversation. So we're lucky to have you back. Well, thanks. And you just demonstrated several significant, important points about habit formation, which is you complimented me so nicely that, of course, I'm going to want to come back. <laughs> Great. Look who joined. Hello. <laughs> How are you? So for everyone online, Dean was actually taking care of some teenagers, my daughter and her <laughs> friends today. And she, he just ran a little late because he had to wait for some of the parents to come back and um, take care of their children. I chaperoned a group of teenagers <laughs> and it was painful, but it taught me patience and organization. And But it was, it was nice. They, they enjoyed themselves. Amazing. Yeah. All right, Howard. So I think most of our members have joined already, and maybe we can actually start the conversation now. Tell us how you would like to proceed. I know that we can pick from anywhere. Um, and you know, before we started the live uh, session, you had some thoughts. You had you had an experimental thought. I did. I did. And so let me, let me preface by saying I'm delighted to be here. And you don't have to thank me for agreeing to show up because it's so much fun. What you do need to thank me for is the fact that I actually remembered to show up because <laughs> I tend not to work on Saturdays. I don't carry my phone around with me on Saturdays. So I don't, I don't typically agree to meet because I know I'm going to flake out more often than not. So what I had to do in order to make sure I got here was I created an event on my phone. I made, I made a note to carry my phone around with me. And literally the event has six alarms oh, at noon <laughs> and every hour. And then at, at 20 minutes, 15 minutes and 10 minutes before this call, because I knew I'm not in the habit yeah. on the weekend yeah. of doing this. So when, when there is no habit, you have to create lots of scaffolding. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, that's such actually, a beautiful story to, that gives you a background about the nuances of habit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and it was actually quite costly for cognition. You know, like I, if I have a thing at noon on Monday, I know I don't have to think about it. It's in my calendar. My calendar is my boss. It tells me what to do, where to go. I'm going to be there. But on the weekend... Like I woke up last night at like 11. It was like, oh, was it last night? Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, so I got a little adrenaline rush. I got a little cortisol cursing through the body. And then today, like, oh, what time is it? Like uh -huh. it was at 6.15. I was sitting down. I was like, oh, is it eight? Right? So not having a habit turns out to be quite costly. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Very yeah. true. Absolutely. So what, what I thought would be fun is for us to play a little game. And imagine that we are, let's say, minor deities, and, and we wanted to create a species, and we wanted that species to thrive. And, you know, so we're starting out, you know, like you're playing the game, you're not very good at it. So we create this wonderful species, wonderful creation, and it dies out after three days because it doesn't eat. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't know it needs calories. So, like, we're, we're placing it in this universe. So, you know, so, so all the laws of thermodynamics apply. If it's going to move, it needs energy, it needs heat, and it gets that from food, from calories. And this creature doesn't eat. Right. So then we go back to the drawing board. And what do we do to make sure the creature eats mm. so it can survive? Yeah. Like, you know, what, 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 what's the thing you guys would think of? To you're, you're asking us, okay, so you know, what would the creature eat? Um, no, I would, uh, the desire, what would we do to make sure it eats? You would create yeah. a desire, right? Right, right. 
Yeah. So if it eats something, it gets like happy. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right? So and we can we can do that um, with with like neurotransmitters, right? We can mm-hmm. make little chemicals in the brain. Like you eat something, you mm-hmm. know, we can give it cer- certain uh, impulses and, and like you know, oh, beautiful, like go go for bright colors, like oh, that beautiful red thing could be you know, nice fruit. Yeah. Uh, and so now it's going to eat the thing. But, and, and, you know, we're going to give it all sorts of other, like, you know, we want it to reproduce. So it's going to have good, you know, the, like cascades of good feelings around intimacy, around sexuality. We don't want it to get eaten. Yeah. Right. Or fall down and die in a ditch somewhere. So we make it like, you know, scared of pain. And Correct. Right? We, we put in all these things. Yeah. But just like me with that, with the six alarms, we don't want it, you know, really me showing up here is kind of hanging by a thread, <laughs> right? It Like I was, I was nervous about it all day. So we don't, we don't want to, to leave it to hit or miss. So we also like, we also wanted to give it a memory. Like when something good happens, we want it to lay down that track. And I wonder if you, you know, you guys have this beautiful metaphor of like snowshoes, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Talk about that for a moment. Yeah. 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 Yeah, the idea of uh, creating tracks yeah. in, in snow. Yeah, I, I know we live in California, so we don't see that often. But at you know, all. at all. But when I lived in New York, usually when it snows a lot and the snow gets compacted, you see people or you know individuals or any object, even if it's a car, you know, opting for a particular track at a time, and that track becomes solidified. So the surroundings are essentially blocked and nobody wants to walk through snow to create a new path. They basically follow the track that was already built in. And those, that's such a great example of a habit, you know, something that you do over and over again, the path that you walk on over and over again becomes solidified. And yes, it is possible to walk into the snow to create a better track, a shortcut of of some sorts, but on a regular basis, the low energy state or the preferable state would be to just walk on the track that is already there. And so you go, you get those shoe marks and you just follow those shoe marks going through. All right. So beautiful. So we would want our creature to lay down tracks. Like every time it does something and gets that, that reward, we don't want it to just feel happy. We want it to learn, right. To lay down the memory so that it does it again next time. Like, you know, I, I, I don't know where my socks are, but if I was like walking around and I saw an orchard and there was like ripe fruit, some part of my brain, I, I would want to remember, oh, this, where is this orchard and what time of the year? So I can go back next year. Yeah. Right. Anything that gives this creature a survival advantage would be good. Absolutely. So, so we want every time something good happens, every time it does something and gets that reward, we want to lay down that track so it's more likely to do it next time without thinking. Correct. Yeah. So the idea is if I wanted to create this creature and I really wanted to give it a really good chance of survival, certain things I would let it think about, right? I want it to have creativity, to be able to deal with with unforeseen circumstances, but I also want to make sure that it's going to be a little bit foolproof. Mm-hmm. And so for, for a foolproof creature, what I essentially want to do is create habits. So that every time it does something good, it gets reinforced. And the next time that situation comes up, it doesn't have to think as hard. 
Mm-hmm. So after a few times, it doesn't have to think at all, right? So it saves a tremendous amount of energy. Because I, I believe you guys know something about the organ that we call the brain. A little bit, yes. What are the stats on the the size of the brain, the weight of the brain in in relation to the body, and how much energy it uses? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it varies, in, but there's a the general idea is about uh, three pounds. Two percent of body's weight, but can consume as much as twenty-five to thirty percent of body's energy. That's just bewildering numbers. I mean, and there are times that it actually consumes fifty percent of the oxygen. Mm-hmm. That's the amount of work it does at its peak, and even at its baseline. We're talking about during sleep. It is so active that it's actually still disproportionately more active than any other organ in the body at any time. So it's a energy oxygen hungry organ. Mm-hmm. And, you know, given evolutionary trade-offs, we might ask, like, why, why do we need such a big brain? And we don't need such a big brain, like, all the time, right? We need it when we need it. Yeah. Right. So the rest, the rest of the time, we don't want it to be revving high. Mm. We want it to be as, as quiescent as possible so that we have energy left for all the other things the body needs to do immune you know immune system repair growth reproduction digestion zoom calls right we we, <laughs> we, we want the we want the brain only to be at high when it needs to be on high mm-hmm, correct mm-hmm. and therefore what we would want to do is have a creature that every time it, it gets a reward that leads to survival and reproduction it becomes more and more attuned to that reward and it has to think less and less. Mm-hmm. And that's habits. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think everything you need to know about why it's hard to break a habit is in that construct, which we just derived sort of from first principles, that, that habits are nature's way of helping us survive in a semi-predictable world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Beautifully stated. At the lowest energy expenditure. Right. So, you know, we want it it to help us get calories while not spending too many calories to get it. Yeah. Correct. Like you could be, you know, like a hunter-gatherer could walk around and like spend one calorie to get 10, which is very sustainable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One calorie to get one calorie, that's not, if it had to think like, oh, now, where do I go today? I don't really know. I don't remember. You know, that species wouldn't necessarily survive. Right. Correct. Incidentally, our modern agriculture spends eight calories to get one. So mm-hmm. unless we change that, where the species is not long for this world. That's yeah. so true. Uh, the, the systems, sorry about that. Uh, the systems you describe is the brain's much more energy dependent and more complex equivalent of other systems in the body that we will describe in the future, which is, we were told you just brought up immune system, but the limbic hypothalamic immune access through uh, hypothalamus and pituitary is perfect example of an automatic system that controls your, you know, your growth, your uh, immunity, your endocrine systems, everything all in one in a systematic way mm-hmm. as a lower energy systems way. Yeah. Your autonomic system, which is the uh, sympathetic and parasympathetic, which is the fight or flight or rest and reproduce system. Those are the two opposite sides are the same thing. These are systems driven mechanisms that rely on a background mechanism to respond to the world. Right. 
And what you're describing here is the behavioral, emotional component, which is the habit pathway. Mm -hmm. And it is so important because it's the habit pathway, actually, that in the long run manages all of those other systems if we don't get it right. So true. It's the habit system that in the long run can devastate or build all of those other systems if we're not, if we don't get it right. And that's why what you're saying or these conversations about habit are as important, if not more than anything else we teach here in this in this forum. I love the almost pictorial representation of the energy expenditure in the form of currency or calories uh-huh. or, you know, giving it some magnitude. I think I think that really builds a firm picture in people's minds of, you know, creating circumstances in their lives that don't really push them to spend too much or, uh, you know, uh, whether it's time or energy or, you know, the capacity to, to make decisions, all of that towards living a healthy life. So that said, what are some of the examples of individuals or systems changing with this knowledge and what 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 has your experience been working with people you know i'm sure that you actually give them the theoretical picture first but then you know what is the next step what do they have to do there's there's one more part of the theoretical picture and i think Mm -hmm. it's really important because you you guys and i have both we've seen people who attack their habits very cavalierly right like a new year's resolution well i'm going to change i'm just going to do this differently, right? I'm, and if you don't know what you're up against, you know that's the, that, that was a like bring, bringing a water pistol to a knife fight or, or something <laughs> like. Yeah, right. So the system is so embedded in us, and it's it's so primal that we don't really we don't really get a say in all in most of those impulses and desires. The second thing that I want people to understand is that. You know, as as benevolent creators, we put our our creation into an environment in which it could thrive, mm. right? So, so it likes sugar, so we give it sugar in the form of healthy fruits, right? And when right. and by, while we're at it, let's do evolution so that the plants want us to eat them and poop the seeds somewhere else, and so the plants are now all like this this um, Persian bazaar. Of of call you know of, of of competing with each other to have the best prices and the yes. best fruits and the the friendliest so that over time hu- you know humans apply selection to the plants mm. like we 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 are good creators yeah but if you take that same creation and you put it in the modern world in which sugar is you know from beets or cane it's processed it's toxic. It's the cheapest thing we can get, either in the form of, of subsidized sugar or high fructose corn syrup, also subsidized by, by farm bills and, and checkoff programs and other things. And we have now have an environment in which we don't have to move our butts at all to get whatever we need. That yeah. all of a sudden, all of those wonderful habits and all that system of habits is now our downfall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, so yeah. That, that's the point at which people start. Like, it's really important for people to know this because the problem with our bad habits is how we feel about our bad habits. Because <laughs> yeah. when we are ashamed, when we are self-critical, when I when we look in the mirror and go, "Oh, you fat," pe-, you know, when we're like that, the brain interprets that 
as an unsafe environment, mm. right? We are literally in distress. Our stress system, our fight or flight is activated when we feel unsafe and we can make ourselves feel unsafe by the yeah. way we talk and think. Yeah. Mm. So, so, so important for people to understand this is not your fault. You are, you have, you know, David Katz likes to talk about a polar bear in the Sahara. That polar bear's blubber and white fur and all its adaptations are great for freezing climates, not so great in the Sahara. No. And so all of us are like polar bears in the Sahara. And we're wondering why we're having so much trouble doing the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. 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 Beautiful analogy. We yeah. make ourselves feel unsafe. Yeah. And, and we know that stress, when we are under stress, we tend to make very short-term decisions. Stress means my body is under threat right now. So I'm not going to be thinking about what would be what would what would be good in 20 years? Mm. What's a strategic way for me to right? We're just thinking, where's the threat? Let me get away from it. Let me run away from it or let me kill it. And when the threat is our own thoughts, like if I if I'm under threat, I'm going to make very short-term decisions and probably I'm going to want to eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. I better load up on calories because when I don't know when the threat's going to strike. Yeah. Right. Right. So which which is why you, right? Un- Unwind, uh, yeah. Unwind. Yes. Is, the, the, is the stress component. And that's the central Absolutely. piece of neuro. It is. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. This is such a beautiful way to depict or connect all the different variables, the historical, the evolutionary, the adaptive nature of habits, and then the emotional, how we actually label it and, and how that labeling actually affects us. So in many ways, and we've talked about this, is there's no blame. There's no guilt. Get rid of all that. You know, you're a polar bear in the Sahara. So just realize that it's a powerful mechanism that's been put in place over millions of years and you're fighting against that, but you don't need to fight. It's all about taking control of the design, actually your own design, not the evolutionary design, your own. Mm -hmm. And may put yourself in the, uh, you know, take the polar bear nature of yourself and put it in the right environment. That's so empowering. That's so powerful. Thank you for approaching it that way. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. But once we know where the, where the levers are, yeah, then we can start pushing them. Like right now, you guys are pretty small on my screen. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to be like looking close to the camera. Let's say I wanted to make it, make you guys bigger and I don't understand computers. And so I'm going to try to like use my hands, like, like, a, like on an iPhone is not going to work on an iMac. I have to understand yeah. that there's a mouse. And once like I could get so frustrated continuously trying to fix something in what seems like a very obvious way. With the wrong tools. But, with the wrong tools and the, and the wrong approach. So the good news is we now we know what the mechanisms are. And so we can decide to create mechanisms in our lives that mimic and overpower the evolutionary urges. Yes. We, ha- we have the ability to design those. And the most important one, and honestly, it was only, I knew this, but I wasn't focused on it until I read your first book, The Alzheimer's Solution, where you talk about small wins. Yeah. And then it, it sort of really hit me because you guys, you guys were talking about the mechanics of motivation. 
Right. And and this is what I came up with. Like my daughter traveled across the country earlier, no, October. She went from North Carolina to Oregon and she drove a car. And so the first thing she did when she got on the road was go to a gas station and fill up. And did she fill up to go to Oregon? The answer is no. She filled up to get to the next gas station. Yeah, exactly. So what we know about motivation is that when you get a reward, it reinforces whatever you just did. So let's say you've been eating poorly for years and all of a sudden you read, you know, the 30 day Alzheimer's. What's it called? Solution. 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 (laughs) Same, same. Two solutions. Okay. Yeah. So you read one of those books, you're like, oh my God, I got to change how I eat. And you say, well, I'm going to change everything all at once. And I'm going to do it because in 20 years, I don't want to get dementia. Yeah. Right. That's, that's not motivation. No. Because we, our brains, we don't think about the future very much. Yeah. Right. The reward has to be immediate. Yeah. Mm. You eat a piece of fruit. It's delicious. You feel good. You eat a Snickers bar. It feels good. You're delicious. It's delicious. You feel good. And it reinforces it. We don't get reinforcement for things that happen later. So if we're saying I, I, my motivation is I want to be thin in 20 years or you know, in five years, or I want to lose 30 pounds or I don't want to get the dementia like my mom got. That is that is misusing the system. That's me trying to make your figure your your faces bigger by pinching the screen on my computer. Instead, we we want to create wins that we can celebrate right now, right? So that that when I have that meal of brown rice and broccoli and tofu, it's not going to taste as exciting as the pepperoni pizza. It's just not. Right. And I know there's all these beautiful vegan blogs and Instagram accounts. And, and you know, and we we love healthy plant based food. Yeah, right? It tastes delicious to us. And people who follow your channel and, and look at your recipes know it's good. It's not going to hit the same pleasure receptors at the same level as the hyper palatable foods we've been eating. So in the moment, it's going to feel like a punishment. Yeah. Even the best healthy food is going to feel less than. And, and sorry, just to interject there a little bit. And part of that is because of your, the, the habit of belief, the habit of taste. These are all, when you get used to a certain pattern of taste, especially if there are, those tastes are driven by evolutionary needed high energy foods like sugar and, and, and fat, it's not just the food itself, although those high energy foods taste good to us evolutionarily because it was they were survival foods. You know, you get more energy from them if you get fat. But even more, it's the fact that we've repeated it so much. That's a component that that's become habit. And, and an example we bring is we've traveled to a lot of countries. I mean, nearly I've traveled nearly 50 countries. And some of the foods they bring to us as their best food, I, I mean, I couldn't even... I mean, it, it was just, yeah. it was just too difficult, let's just say. Yeah. And it's not nothing to do with their food. It's probably great food. It's just my habits, right? So that also speaks to a form of habit, which is the habit of, or comfort and the history and the culture and the stories, all those things around food, which is another element that can be so easily adjusted as one of those tools and skills that you're talking about. I, I, lovely. Absolutely. 
Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, beautifully said, like people love what they are used to. Yeah. Right. There's, there's wonderful studies of like people's preference for faces. There was, I can't remember where I'm, it was in some behavior. I think it might've been in Danny Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, where they had asked students to rate faces in terms of like attractiveness and, and how nice a person it is. And one of the faces was a woman who came into every single class and sat in the, and just sort of stood, walked down right, you know, right as class was starting. So everyone could see her, turned around, faced everybody in the auditorium and then sat down and then got up at the end of class just before it ended. So everyone could see her walk out and left and never said a word. She was part of the experiment. People rated her more attractive in the classes where she did that than the, and but no, no people didn't, didn't remember her. Yeah. But like whatever you are used to, yeah. you like, because whatever you're used to hasn't killed you. Mm. Yes, exactly. So exactly. familiarity breeds liking. Yes. Mm. Which, which means whatever you start eating, you're going to end up liking. Yeah. Like there's all these stories. Oh, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not a vegetable eater or I'm not a morning person where people have these definitions. And the definitions most of the time are largely based on I am this because I've been this. Mm-hmm. Right. So we know, know that we have the capability of changing and getting used to a new thing and starting to like it. Yeah. 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 That is powerful. It is. That it is. is powerful because it, that's not just about food. That actually has a lot of other social implications too. You know, the power of the, the comfort that you feel with something that is unfamiliar or uncomfortable. I thought you were going somewhere else with that. <laughs> I thought from now on, every party, Aisha's going to get up at the beginning. <laughs> but she's liked anyway. I got to do that. I got to get up in front at the beginning and at the end. No, yeah. I was referring more to, you know, the social constructs that we've created for ourselves, these artificial yeah. borders and the uh, definitions and differentiations between communities and cultures. I think that also stems from the fact that we always are attracted to something that is familiar to us, that we find those comfortable. And I think the fear of exploring and opening up also stems from the place where, because it's just innate in us, you know, what's familiar to you is more comfortable. That's, that's incredible. How much does, you know, the advertisement of foods play into this? You you see billboards of burgers and and drinks and all of that. It's huge because our brains don't understand advertisements, Hmm. right? They don't, the brains don't understand representation as being different from the thing. So, you know, you know, like Pavlov's dogs, are salivating when he rings the bell because they've associated the bell with the food, right? They're salivating because they're preparing to digest. Right. Yeah. We're the same way. You go down the road, you see a billboard. You can't tell your brain that that, you know, ice cold Coke with the ice in it and the, and the, the, the water rolling down the sides right. or the burger or the pizza, this, these beautifully styled things. Your brain's like, oh, good. That's that's in my environment, yeah. right? So all of a sudden, we get the uh, you know, let's do a little musical metaphor: shaving a haircut, right? If I go, dun da 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 da, you can't help yourself. You get, right? <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah, one of us has some frontal lobe disorder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you do it in your head though? 
Yeah, yeah. I did. Of course. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so true. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, the, so we know that the dopamine circuitry is largely not about reward, but about anticipation of reward. Yeah. Mm. So the minute we, that we, we see the advertisement, we are now primed for that thing. It becomes very, very white knuckly to not go through with it. Yeah. And, and, and in deciding, okay, I'm going to detour off the highway, go into that 7-Eleven or that Sheets or that Wawa's, and I'm going to buy the thing or, yeah. or something. It feels like such a relief. Yeah. Right? yeah. Because, because we've, uh, we've shaved in a haircut and now we're going to two bits and now we're, now we're, we're relaxed again. Yeah. The other, the other thing that all the advertising does is like what we're talking about, like cognitive shortcuts to save energy. One of the most prevalent cognitive shortcuts is I do what everybody around me does. Mm. Yeah. Right. So if I see ubiquitous in my environment, if I see people on television enjoying food, my brain goes, oh, those must be my people. Yeah. Right. The, we, the brain doesn't distinguish between actual r- referent group. And, you know, people on television. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's why, that's why I, I, you know, I hate playing tennis and basketball because I watch them and I feel bad that I'm not as good as the, you know, that's why people feel bad about their bodies because the people in Hollywood are gorgeous. And, you know, so we, we, the referent group becomes extremely important. Because, you know, evolutionarily, you want to be part of your group, because if you're not, you're going to die, because you can't, you know, we are a, a social uh, species, we have to, you know, raise our young collectively, we have to share food, some people are foraging, some people are trapping, some people are hunting, we, we have to bring it all back and share it. So if you are out of sync with your referent group, if you're not eating the foods they are, some part of our physiology and our neurology is saying we're in danger. Yeah. Yeah. Be ostracized. Yeah. So this, this is wonderfully engineered. So the mechanisms we're describing here are intrinsic and extrinsic mechanisms that we need to be aware of and alter. The extrinsic or external mechanisms are the people around us or more broader sense is the environment around us. Being aware of the environment, because we're talking about stimuli that instigate behavior and rewards, right? Stimulus, behavior, reward. I mean, people have broken that into m- more finite elements, but basically that's it. It's There's a stimulus that propagates a pathway, a process that creates a behavior, and then there's a reward. Uh, the degrees of those are very but that's what a habit pathway kind of is created around. And the way to alter this process towards what you want, which is the middle one, which is the behavior, is to alter the stimulus, which comes from the environment, which comes from your, you know, the things that, that are around you, and then the rewards that the historically rewarded you. In fact, now we've lost what was that reward, right. you know, that created the dysfunctional behavior, but there must have been a reward. It might have been a very immediate survival reward, you know, but it's I'll not. A- you, I'll tell you, my, one of my rewards was every, yeah. every time um, I skinned my knee or the neighborhood kids picked on me, I would come home and my mother would get out the chocolate. Mm. <laughs> right. So yeah. my brain learned when I feel bad, chocolate will make me feel bad. Yeah. 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 Wow. Still does. <laughs> it yeah. works like magic. Yeah. 
you that know. could have made you into a great fighter as well, but that didn't work out. You didn't have the physiology, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but don't get beat up again, get another Kit Kat. Yes. Or no, if you were a good fighter, you would have, yeah. But but that's a beautiful, beautiful analogy. Yeah. I mean, a, a visible one, a visceral one that one can can see, but that that little mechanism is not as obvious often. Mm-hmm. That little mag, because we are made of thousands of little micro habits. Right. Mm-hmm. We don't know all the ins or the stimuli and all the outs, which uh, or rewards. We don't. But the dopamine system is already put in place. Mm-hmm. But we don't have to. We don't right. have to. You find some seminal, some 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 central ones, or one of the ones that is low hanging fruit, and start hitting that. And because I, what you say and what we say is people don't know how much power they have once they start identifying this mechanism. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like a beautiful game. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'll, I'll, yeah, let, let's, let's build on that as far as the stimulus behavior and reward component. Yeah. So I think about all these, you know, we have all these bad habits or dysfunctional habits or yeah. habits that are not in accord with what we want. So habits that are not helping us to reach our goals. And what we want to do, we also have a ton of habits that are good, right? Like most people brush their teeth. They put on clean clothes. They, you know, we are highly functional. So, So like one of the dangers when we start talking about this is people think of themselves as just a bundle of bad habits. You know, if you were a bundle of bad habits, you wouldn't have survived. You wouldn't be able to be on a Zoom call or you're watching on YouTube. Like there's a high level of functioning and you, that you should congratulate yourself for and build on. Yeah. So what we want to do, and, and, and we have all these things that are non-negotiable. Like th- this, is, this is who I am. And it becomes, it becomes a matter of my identity. Like, and we don't even think about it because it's invisible to us until somebody breaks it. Right. If we if we suddenly, you know, move in with someone who never brushes their teeth, we start to realize, oh, that's gross because I have an expectation that people brush their teeth. Oh, that's a value of mine. So what we want to do we, we when once it reaches that point, it becomes non-negotiable. We don't have to put energy into it. It's it's second nature. Yes. So the question is, how do we move from I'm not doing it to second nature? And the answer is we put in work. We get off of the track where that all the other that, you know, that we have been the groove we've been laid down. And now we stomp our way through knee high snow, which is slow and it can feel annoying and it's not as much fun and it's highly inefficient. Mm -hmm. And so we, we have to realize like the game is when you want to change a habit, you have to take it from unconscious and make it conscious. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Can I can I interject there a little bit? Uh, that's that's exactly right. And one other thing that that I want people to know is, uh, given the reward system, it's great if you have re- short term rewards. That's great. But sometimes, not actually, not sometimes, often, if you know that the tracks you're laying are in the right direction, in the correct direction then you can actually make the reward intrinsic in the process, not in the final goal, not even in the final, the next gas station. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I actually put down a step in the right direction. I tell people, if everybody knew that the path to a billion dollars was four steps, let's say 10 steps, mm-hmm. would anybody not take those 10 steps? 
<laughs> so the point being that if you know that the path that you're taking is definitely the healthy path, and that's where we come in with our conversations about the science, about nutrition, everything else. And we say, okay, eliminate processed food or eliminate sugar, let's say. And that's your thing today. And you know that's the right path. And you've identified it. You have identified your negative uh, sources of sugar or your sources of sugar. And you've identified the alternatives for it. Then it's not about reaching two months or three months without sugar. It's the fact that the next time that you would have eaten sugar, now you ate something else that was healthy. That in itself becomes an intrinsic reward system in the system. Mm -hmm. That's so much more powerful than just goal setting. The goal setting becomes the process or the process becomes the goal and reward in itself. Mm -hmm. Because when you know the steps are in the right direction, it's that lottery phenomenon. I call it the lottery phenomenon. Absolutely, yeah. With the lottery phenomenon, everybody would take joy in every single step they've taken towards that, the, that, that lottery. And it's the same here, creating the reward in the process itself if you know that the steps are going to lead you in that direction. It's a, it's a beautiful and powerful thing that you and I have spoken about before and us together. Right. And so, so what do we need? We need two things, I think, to take those 10 steps towards our, towards our, our billion or our uh, elimination of sugar. Yes. One is we need awareness in the moment so that we don't find ourselves having eaten sugar. Yes. Right. How many times have I, oh, I forgot, you know, or, oh, I didn't realize, or, oh, it was already in my mouth. Like it was such a habit. Yeah. So, so we've got it. We've got to get specific. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's, you know, there's a whole thing like, you know, progress, not perfection, which is true as far as it goes. But what it gets people to be to do is be very vague, like, oh, I'm going to have less sugar because I don't want to set down a rule. So I'm a a big believer. and I know you guys are, too. And this idea of smart goals of like, I want a really bright line. I want like in in those movies where the like the art heist, where those those um, infrared, you know, (laughs) um, alarm triggers. Like, I want to know if I cross that trigger, I want, right? So I have to create a very clear rule for myself. So if I know, like, so you want to ask, like, you want to, like, look at your habits as if you're an anthropologist of yourself. How does sugar get into your body? Like, it, uh, sugar doesn't walk. It doesn't climb, go crawl up your arm, bounce somebody you know, into your mouth. You I would disagree that. with you. I... <laughs> Ask Aisha. I think <laughs> when when we first married, I think chocolate climbed. <laughs> yeah, it climbed from my purse right into my mouth same, all the time. Same for me. Absolutely. It was like a little march of chocolates. No. <laughs> same for me. Yeah, absolutely. That's a beautiful analogy. That's beautiful. I like that. You're right. You're right. Yeah, you so, want the alarm goes alarm bells going off on you. Yeah. So you want to know where where are the danger points? Because people think like, okay, I'm going to stop eating chocolate. And that becomes like a 24-7, it's my new identity, it's my new job, no more chocolate. And really, you probably only have to bring attention to it maybe 30 seconds a day mm-hmm. if you get the right 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you an example. One, one of my clients was trying to quit soda. I said, well, tell us, tell, you know, tell me about soda in your life. Where does it come from? <laughs> How does it get? Oh, well, I don't have it in the house. Good. That's a great start. 
But when I drive to work, I often just take a little detour and go to the 7-Eleven and I get a, you know, a giant keg gulp, whatever they're called these days, you know, yeah. 96 ounces of, of, of sugar. And um, I, okay, so if you didn't do, if you didn't take your detour um, and you just went straight to work, you know, it says, no, then I wouldn't have soda. That's the place I go. So we go like, okay, so tell me the moment when you have to commit to either going to work or, or detour. He says, well, it's a, it's at a light. I either turn right to the soda or left to work. So, okay. So, so at the light, tell me about the intersection. What, you know, how many lanes are there? Well, there's, there's three lanes. There's a, a right lane, a straight lane, and a left lane. So, 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 oh, so when do you have to make the decision which lane to get in? Says, well, it 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 opens up probably like 150 feet before the intersection. So, in that's your moment. You have yeah. in those three seconds. You're either going to go into the left lane or the right lane. Mm. So your habit is not to not drink soda. Your habit is to to get into the left lane. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Like that's just that because we understood the system upon which it was built. Because the other thing about most of our habits is that while they are very entrenched, they are also very vulnerable when they are stacked. Mm. When one habit is stacked on another, it's like a house of cards. If you pull out the bottom card, the whole thing can collapse. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to have that sort of bright line of, okay, this is the thing I'm not going to do. And here's the definition of what I'm going to do instead. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we just, we, we follow that rule. Right. But we need, we need, we need something else because your analogy of 10 steps to a billion dollars implies sort of linearity. Mm-hmm. And like, why would you go backwards? You wouldn't, yeah. but in habits, we know that human beings typically don't succeed all the time. Correct. And it's actually a good thing. Cause if you said, okay, I'm going to give up, I'm going to give up sugar. And then you give up sugar and you don't have sugar anymore. Somewhere in the back of your mind, your, your voice is going, how long can I keep this up? What if I eat sugar one day? Is it all going to be for naught? Am I just going to go back to where I was? And so actually failing is an important part of the process. Yeah. Right? Someday someone's going to be like, hey, I made this cake for your birthday. Would you like some? You know, or you're going to be out with friends and everyone's going to get the cheesecake at the end of the Cheesecake Factory meal. Yeah. Or or you're going to come home and you're going to be really mad about something. And, you know, at 11 o'clock at night, you're just going to remember, oh, I think there's an old Ben and Jerry's in the back of the freezer. I'm just going to finish it off. And the interpretation of that event is probably the most important thing in whether you continue on the road towards the good habit or whether you say, oh, there's another time I failed. Right. And so the interpretation of that, if you say, okay, what did I learn from that? What can I do differently next time? How can I protect myself? How can I get better? Then it becomes actually an accelerator. Right. Because, right. Because we talked about the habit loop in terms of stimulus, behavior, reward. Yeah. So the stimulus. The first thing we want to do is try to get rid of stimuli, but we live in the world. We can't get rid of all the stimuli. Right. Right. There's a, you know, the story of the, the Buddha as a boy is he's living in this palace and his father wants to keep him away. He doesn't want him to see the suffering in the world. 
So he's going to keep him, you know, just stuck in the palace where there's no poverty or or disease or death, and eventually he has to leave the palace and he walks mm-hmm. out and he sees the world, right? So eventually we have to leave our palace, yeah. right? We don't we don't want to be the person who never goes into the break room at work because there is an open box of Krispy Kreme in it. Mm. We don't want to be the person who's like, like my clients sometimes would tell me very proudly, oh, we, my husband and I drove to the store and I stayed in the car and, I, and he went in I'm like, OK, did, you know, that's great for now. But do you, you don't we don't want to diminish our lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So so we want to like those failures help us get better and better at more and more challenging stimuli. Yeah. So if you see failure as a scientist would. Right. You do. You guys run a study. Is there a, is there a failure? You just you, you learn. Work. You learn from the from every study. Absolutely. Yeah. So that to me, that's the most important part is understanding that when you don't live up to the new habit, you have a great opportunity to learn something to get better. Yeah. Because mm. it, it doesn't mean you fail. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you lack willpower even though there's a voice in your head that's going to say, ah, how many times have you done this before? Yeah. So really take charge of that interpretation. Agreed. Absolutely. So beautifully stated. Absolutely. So beautifully stated. So I suppose, you know, having the ultimate goal in mind is important, having that bigger goal. But what is most important is breaking it down into smaller steps and rewarding yourselves from moving from one step to the second step. Yeah. That's the key, if and, I had to summarize it. And, and on the negative side, the negative behaviors, one beautiful element is your battle is not the entire habit. Your battle is that moment that that habit, especially once you become aware of the habit and all the ins and outs and all the, it's that moment that you could potentially fail. So it really gives you so much power to know that you're not fighting a behemoth, a leviathan. Yeah, You're fighting a moment, and that moment of awareness. Is- Sorry. Yeah. And that moment is not just a moment. That moment, it, it depicts the few steps that you took into that pile of snow, the knee high pile of snow towards creating a, you know, another healthier habit. Yeah. I'll, I'll give, I'll give you folks a, a technique that I love to identify that moment. Cause it's, you know, it's easy to do when I'm coaching someone, we, I can just talk them through it. But here's, here's the thing you, you play the movie. So you picture like, when am I in danger of failing, right? So my, oh, there's a, there's a potluck at school on Thursday night. Or, oh, on Saturday after the game, everyone's going to go tailgating, right? So, so picture it. Picture yourself there in as much detail as you can. And then picture yourself failing, right? Run through, like, what does it look like when I end up eating the cheeseburger, having the ice cream, whatever the thing is that I said I said I, I want to stop doing. And, and just notice the movie. Then go back, replay it with you succeeding and notice the moment that it diverges, right? When, Absolutely. so up away from the buffet table and I got a tall glass of water with a slice of lemon in it. That's how I did it. So now you know the moment it diverges is the moment of your greatest power. Yeah. So yeah. very true. Beautiful. So very Good. true. 
Absolutely. Can I add one, one, one more thing in terms of rewarding ourselves? Yes. One of the things that I have found is the most powerful is for people to identify a couple of their most cherished values. And it's, it's fun for people to do. So, you know, you can, you can go, go on the internet and find like that lists of values, you know, um, confidence, family, faith, creativity, dependability, like, you know, thousands of them. Think about what are some, what are a couple of values that really matter to you? And think about them for a little bit. And even if you want to do this journal, write for five minutes on each value, how it, how it plays a role in your life. It could be aspirational. It could be like, this is a value that I'm not fully embodying, but I really want to, or this is a value that is non-negotiable for me. This is who I am. You know, I am dependable. I am kind, whatever. And then take that value and ask yourself, how does this value relate to what I'm up to here? How does eating well, avoiding dementia, being cognitively sharp into my later years, being healthy, being vibrant, how does that relate to honesty? How does that relate to kindness? How does that relate to dependability? How does that relate to faith in God? And I guarantee you will find a significant connection, right? And it's beautiful when people articulate. Yeah. Right? I had a client saying, honesty is the most important thing to me. And I realize I keep lying to myself, mm. right? So now what you can do is every time you say no to chocolate, you now consciously, intentionally, loudly say, boy, this is me being honest right. in a situation where it has been hard for me to be honest. I am embodying this value. I am so proud of myself. Like that's beautiful. Yeah. a dopamine hit. So even more than, hey, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm going to lose the weight. That's less meaningful to us than I am embodying this value in this moment. That's wonderful. That's beautiful. I love it so much. And, and, and it speaks to identity that the way we look at things as, you know, goals and, and, and processes or systems and mm-hmm. identity. Mm-hmm. Identity is that's the underlying stream of consciousness of right. who you want to be often aspirational, yeah. but that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing you want to be one of your biggest desires in life for most is to be consistent, to be consonant with their aspirational values Mm -hmm. and by identifying them and linking your rewards or the fact that you are consistent with that behavior is it's just so powerful you're you're connecting you're you're connecting your new habits line hook and well in this case uh, and not in the same setting but with beautiful values that you aspire for. That's wonderful. I love this. Yeah, your rewards beautiful. are no longer, I'm not going to eat chocolate, so I'm going to go eat Italian bread. So from one food to the next food, but to much higher aspect of yourself, which is your identity, a much more achievable or accessible thing because it's in your mind, a much more consistent thing because you've reinforced it. That's you. You're creating a new way of, binding habit to identity, which makes it so much more powerful, completely uncapricious with the way we are creating positive habits. First of all, most people don't even focus on habits. It's from diet to diet, from new year resolution to new year resolution. Then they focus on habits in a very isolated way, 
okay, I'm going to eliminate sugar. Well, that's great, but that's not going to be a sustainable way of... And then they connected to avoidance methods that you describe, which is, oh, I'm going to stay away from you know, stores that have sugar. Well, good luck. You're not going to find any store. Uh, uh, and not to behavior reward systems. And then lastly, the rewards are usually dysfunctional in themselves. And this way, you're actually connecting them to the core being that you are, the core aspiration that you are. In fact, you didn't come to this forum or this 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 life to to live a you know a life of diets. Absolutely. You came to this life to create habits that make a difference for yourself and everybody else. Beautifully Absolutely. stated, Howard. Absolutely. Lovely. lovely. I, I think this entire conversation, um, oh, you know, it, it's so thought provoking, and and you've hit on such important um, points that uh, we would actually have to go back and you know like consider these gems and and for some of the members who are listening our community members who are listening to expand on each and every aspect of what we just discussed so we're hoping that over a year with people living this life right that we can slowly make help ourselves as well we are we're continually changing oh of course oh i'm, I'm perfect i'm done sorry <laughs> you look at how you, you, you look, look at you look at yeah uh, and, and i'm just truly, running on humility but everything else i've <laughs> Well, if you're accurate, then no no humility need, needed, right? No, but it's beautiful to kind of try to inculcate it into our behaviors. Absolutely. We want to be respectful of your time. It's uh, Saturday night for you Maybe over there at 9 p.m. Um, I, I actually, Lisa says it's a light bulb moment. And, um, you know, we've got we've gotten a lot of wonderful comments about how important these aspects are and how this has been an eye-opening conversation. And I think Kathy's from Australia. She's in Perth and she says this time works best for her. So I'm glad she's here. She says it's really true to make changes when living with people who don't want to. And she was actually mm -hmm. referring to the concept of having, you know, and us not having control over our, our environment. And uh, Diane, as a response, said, you know, she sees some foods now, some ads, and she thinks, oh, that's a heart attack waiting to happen. Plus, I know I wouldn't find them that tasty. It would be too salty, too fatty. And to two, basically, you know, to all the other aspects of, of that unhealthy diet, which means that she's come to a point where she actually knows that she has connected her habits to a bigger picture, to a purpose. Well, yeah, and I would say something else has happened, which is like the reason we get into these habits, as we said, is you eat the chocolate and you get a positive response. You're getting, you're learning that it's good, but bringing awareness to that process, like we, we do have these big brains that can think. And so when you say well, like when we're going to walk on the, the, the high snow and we're going to work hard, we're bringing conscious awareness to what had been unconscious. Yeah. And so now I'm factoring in not just how it feels now, but how it's going to feel in an hour. Right. So if, you know, this, the idea of seduction is this, you know, short term gain, long term pain, but we do it anyway because we're only focused on the short term. So when that person is saying that's a heart attack waiting to happen, I know how bad I'm going to feel. Yeah. Like at that point, it's not a matter of habit. It's the same as like, oh, I, I'm so drawn to touching that hot stove right now, right? Like I'm not because I know on a cellular level, on an experiential level, I know how bad this makes me feel. So that's the advantage of bringing awareness to it is that we bring the full awareness of the entire gamut of circumstances and we can, we can establish 
negative associations with things that otherwise that, that just had purely positive associations. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, this is, uh, uh, we will have many conversations with you and uh, about, about this topic for the rest of this year. And I think it's going to be incredibly valuable. We want to give a little bit of time for people who have some questions. Actually, Carol said that she's ha- she's going to have to listen to this podcast and again and again. And again and again, um, yes. And Sandy said, there are some foods that seemed addictive to me. When I stopped eating cheese, I had to almost detox from it. It took a while till I felt able to go for pizza and trust myself to order no more cheese. So mm-hmm. she's, she's uh, essentially talking about the you know, some of the difficulties that people have to face in order to make those, you know, stick to their smart goals. Well, I just came from a excursion with the teens, my daughter's uh, friends in the mall, and uh, there was a Blaze pizza or something, and they had cauliflower crusted plant-based cheese pizza with mushroom. It was the most amazing pizza. So it's it's becoming more and more available with uh, with people asking for things like that. One of the most important aspects of this that you're, you and I are trying, uh, we are all trying to do is operationalize this, by the way, bringing it into people's lives one step at a time. But this first conversation was about kind of giving a picture of what are the elements involved, right? What are the things, what are the forces uh, involved, both external forces and internal forces? Because once you become aware of your own environment and forces that have created the negative behaviors and the positive behaviors, then we can start reverse engineering or re-engineering the process by creating new pathways through that snow. And it's, I think it's the most important thing work we do here, uh, both in this forum or, or as a neurologist or, as, uh, or work you do, which is if we don't give people the tools to control habit, we're actually causing pain and suffering. It's because going from diet to diet is just painful. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that I think we, we do that is akin to malpractice is when we tell people how important this is and we don't give them the tools and we but we explain to them how they're thinking, what they're, what's wrong with their thinking. Yeah. yeah. So now we're giving them another weapon to. Like, oh, what's wrong with me now that I know all this? Like before, before I met you, Dean, I thought that I that Alzheimer's was completely genetic and there was nothing I could do. Now I know I can do something and I feel even worse about myself because I'm not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Margaret is saying it's when I'm tired and hungry that most positive plans fall off the cliff. Well, and that's because here's the neurological part of that. The mechanism of you deciding to take the left lane versus the right lane and that that inhibition, that, that moment of overcoming is in the frontal lobe. And when you're sleepy and tired, the part of the brain that's most susceptible and weakest is the frontal lobe. Right. And that's actually the... The, the, the filters. The filters, yeah. yeah. The, the book uh, Emotional Intelligence and several others have, have done a really good job of saying how this... The oldest part of the brain, the limbic, you know, amygdala, the oldest part of the brain can be so much more powerful than this thinking brain, because in those moments it can take over. But the way around it is being aware of those triggers, being aware of those moments, being aware of the things, the situations where you actually will be sleepy and next to a a candy shop. 
Yeah. store. That's a weird situation, but but let's say that you are, or you know, <laughs> so, have a stash available for you. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So or awareness someone, of those those, those else, pitfalls. Yeah. Or someone else in your household is not eating the way you want to, and there's the, yeah. and their food is there. And, you know, you can't stop yourself and it doesn't feel right to ask them to change because you're weak. Right. So, you know, so there's a few things to think about. First, you know, first of all, again, when we're tired and overwhelmed, we're under stress, right? Which means we tend not to make very good decisions. So one thing I would say is have a plan for, for those moments. Yeah. And here, here's how I like to think. Here, here's a, an exercise I can give people. Imagine there was an, an evil force in your life that wanted you to fail. How would the, what would they do to your environment to ensure that in those moments of weakness, you would fail? Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, it's fun. It's a fun activity to think of, right? Well, they would, <laughs> they would, you know, they'd have posters of it up. They would, you know, and all you have to do is just do the opposite like make it create what's called behavioral science is called friction. Yeah. Right. Increase the, the bar for doing the thing. Sometimes we only need just a few seconds to get our cells back. So one thing you can do is start practicing creating stress in your life. So if like if you're a basketball player and all you ever do when you're practicing is shoot free throws and the free throw is you're standing at the line and, and everyone else is standing still and you're just trying to throw it in the basket. It's, it's important to be good at that, right? But if you're playing in a game and you've never actually played against a defender, free throws aren't going to help you very much because it's a completely different circumstance. Right. Correct. So, so if all you're practicing is when you're good, when, when you have plenty of resources, when you're well-fed, when you're not tired, when you're not mad at anybody, when you're not scared, and you never start to practice it when you are under stress, mm -hmm. then you're going to have no experience of resisting stress. So one of the things I teach my clients is to simulate stress and then practice the new habit or practice de-stressing. So one yeah. of the best ways to stress yourself out, there's two really good ways to stress yourself out. One is physiological, hold your breath, right? After about five seconds, you're like, I'm going to die. Right. So, so in that moment, when you, you know, you can feel that you feel in your body what that feels like. Then you go to slow out breath, longer duration than in breath. Yeah. And that can start to calm you down. And, and so then when you feel yourself at that moment, oh, I'm stressed out. I want to eat something bad. You you automatically go to the breathing you've been practicing. Not because it's a good idea that you thought of, but because you've embedded it in your neurology through practice. Yeah. 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 Very true. A second, a second way is to like imagine you're in that moment. You're, it's late. You're anxious. You're tired. Now you're thinking about eating that food and you're not gonna. You're going you're gonna to white knuckle it. Now pay attention to your body. Where do you feel those sensations? What are you feeling? Oh, it's a tightness in my chest. It's right. So once we get to understand what those symptoms are and just be with them, because it turns out that what's what what really compels us is these feelings, these bodily sensations that we our brains, our higher brains interpret as emotions and thoughts. Mm -hmm. And if we get to and and they're really not that bad, like that feeling of, oh, 
like, you know, if everyone just thinks about like a two out of 10 on a stress scale, something slightly stressful, you'll start to feel, I feel tightness in my chest, uh, something in my throat. I feel butterflies in my stomach. Like, I'm just thinking about a time I said something really stupid and hurtful. Like, yeah. I mean, like that's, oh, you know, yeah. Jesus, Those right? are very stressful. And it comes back and I can feel it in my body. And I'm just, I'm willing to feel it. Yeah. If you're willing to feel it, you don't need to eat it to eat to make it go away. All right. So, so getting being like the ultimate habit hack, changing a bad habit is being willing to feel what the habit is trying to distract you from. Yeah. Yeah. So and it's something we can practice and mm-hmm. start small and you gradually get better and better at it. And and as I, I just um, wrote a book that's coming out in the fall with my friend and coaching mentor, Peter Bregman, and he wrote an entire book called Emotional Courage, the, the theme of which is, if you're willing to feel everything, you can do anything. Because it's, 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 it's a, I don't want to feel something, so I'm not going to have that important conversation with my spouse. Mm. Yeah. I'm not going to ask my boss for a raise. I'm not going to start a side hustle that, that, that could turn into a business that means something for me. I'm not going to pass on the ice cream because if I pass on the ice cream, I'm going to have to face mm. the thing I don't want to feel. Yeah. yeah. So to me, yeah. That's, 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 that's why I love bad habits because they're actually, they're the shoots that we can dig up and we find these wonderful roots of inner liberation. Yeah. Right. That habit is always hiding some treasure that we haven't accessed. Oh, beautiful. Oh my goodness. That's, that, that's beautiful. So beautiful. That's a better version of, uh, a much better version of uh, Freud. (laughs) No, it, it, it is truly beautiful to hear the mechanisms, the elements and the tools of how we can inculcate this into our lives. Howie, you're always an amazing uh, conversation. Uh, you're part of this community where we love you. Absolutely. Uh, love we you could so talk for it. hours and hours, <laughs> but uh, I think we will have plenty of time. It's Saturday night for you. You need to be with your family. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I'm just going to read a couple of things. Melinda said it's profound. Brenda said it, love that. Helena said, so much good information to digest and take action on. This has been a wonderful conversation. Always, I whenever we talk to you, I I can't. I don't think we're go, we're going to have a better conversation next time because it's so good. But in every time you you surprise us, uh, we're we're grateful to you for your time. Thank you so much for joining we're, us today. We're we're good habits for each other. Yeah. <laughs> we are. We are. You, you certainly are for us. Absolutely. Actually, if we have another minute or two. Yeah, oh, of my family first. My family's very happy with me here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> good. Right. Good. We gotta we gotta pull that to the surface and figure out the roots of that one too. Yes. yes. Well, they you know my wife knows I come back from these like I'm I'm like I'm always complaining when I have to do an evening call. I'm like oh I'm so tired I don't want to do it. And then I come back and she goes you had a great time didn't you? I go yes. <laughs> you know, um, I'm just curious if people could. Type in a type of comment of like, what's the next action they're going to take? Mm. Yes, I want, I want to make sure that this is not just you know brain candy, but 
it, it's going to be useful for people. So I'd lo- and I, I can't, I don't know where to look. I guess I can't see the, the, the YouTube. Yeah. No, no, we yeah. will definitely share with you and, and uh, we'll have you involved, but that's critical. Actually, given that this is a one-year program, I mean, monthly, uh, but, but uh, we're hoping that people, we want people to identify exactly one or several of the next steps in a very specific, manageable way. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm very curious whether people can come away from this now with, here's the next thing I'm going to do. And it, mm-hmm. it could be, I'm going to keep track of something. I'm going to start, I'm not going to change my diet soda habit, but I'm going to journal it. I'm going to, going to next by next week, I'm going to know exactly when I reach for a diet soda. Like that's, a, that's a actionable step. So it I'm going be, to focus on one person right now. Alice said regular exercise. That's beautiful. Let's make it more specific. What kind of exercise, where, what are the impediments that you're going to overcome? What are the tools? How long? How are you going to connect it to your higher aspiration, your value? All the things we talked about. A little bit more work, but that work is going to make it a real permanent behavior. That's not going to go away because it's going to be your identity. Uh, you're yeah. not going to be exercising. You're going to be an exerciser with with tools with knowledge, with with knowledge of impediments, all of those things. What is the exercise? What if I get all the elements needed? That's wonderful. Yeah. Melinda so I, says I, she's going to sit with her feelings if needed. I'm sorry to cut you off. How we go ahead? Uh, so I would say for that, you know, for the person who wants to regular exercise, is let's define it in terms of like what does that look like in a week? Yeah. And honestly, like, look, write it down, put it in your calendar and then say, what I bet on myself that I'm going to achieve it? Because it's really important that you would bet on yourself. Because if you wouldn't, if you say, you know, if I say, how confident are you? Oh, seven out of 10, not good enough for the beginning. Mm. We want nine and a half to 10 out of 10. Mm. And so if you're like, oh, you know, yeah, 20 minute walk every day. No, I don't see I'm going to, I want to do it, but I know these, all these things are going to come up. Maybe it's just two minutes. Yeah. Right. Like do like the important thing is not the extent or the quantity or the intensity. It's planting the seed. You can always water the seed if it's a viable seed and it's planted in the right soil. Yeah. So start by getting that foothold and build on it as opposed to I'm going to do an hour a day of yoga. And then and a week later, you have, you've done it once and then it fell off the table. So true. We ha- you have started a storm. Yeah. People so, are giving. <laughs> so Alice, who said the regular exercise, came back and now she's saying she's going to walk 30 minutes at least three days a week, plus some weightlifting, and then yoga on opposite days. So okay. that's very specific. Awesome. So I, w- I would say go do it and notice, again, we're going to run the experiment. So notice if anything gets away. Mm. For me, it might be a voice saying, "Oh, I'll just do it tomorrow," or "Oh, was that was that a knee tweak? Maybe that that's not that's not responsible." <laughs> or, "Oh, I was getting ready to do it, and my kids needed me." Right. So, like, start to anticipate. Yeah. And notice the obstacles and treat the again. Play. It's a game. So how do how do I defeat it? Yeah. Right. I learned something very important this week. I'm do, I was doing um, uh, getting online training, weight training, and I complained to my trainer. He 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 fixed. I was doing um, squats with kettlebells, and my elbows were dropping. And he said, "Keep the elbows up." And I did. And I said, "Oh, that's 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 hard." And he said, "I think you mean that's more challenging." 
Uh huh. Yeah. Like, oh, so let's think of this as challenges. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And the failures are not failures. The failures, especially no, if you reflect on them and spend a little time figure out what are the impediments, what are the you know the ways around. You know, we we keep talking about and and our I think as a family, our middle name is process improvement. Process improvement is critical. Reflecting, identifying specifically the little processes, that's that's a gift. As Howie said, the mistakes, the bad habits are a treasure trove of of gifts of knowledge about yourself. Each bad habit is not just about that habit. It's it's a whole root underneath that gives so much more insight about yourself that you can, with one fell swoop, make massive changes. I've never heard anyone say I love bad habits, by the way. That was that was <laughs> incredibly refreshing and beautiful. Well, and it's it's important because if we, you know, if I fail and I immediately go to self-criticism, then I'm in defensive mode again. I'm in stress and I can't be creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I go, oh, I love this bad habit. It's it's so interesting. It's so it's so cool how this thing keeps hooking me and I haven't figured it out yet. What can I try differently? If yeah. we we are such creative beings. So true. And you know, imagine life with no problems. Like mm. uh, yeah. you know, we're here to grow. You know, imagine I was doing weightlifting with balloons. Like it'd be easy. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. But, but I wouldn't grow muscles. It's yeah. it's actually failure. Well, you're not imagining enough, Howie. How about if you would be weightlifting with balloons and grew muscles? That w- that's my imagination. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm joking. But no, that's true. My friend, my lovely, lovely brother and friend, uh, you are amazing. I think this is so valuable. We, w- we will definitely continue. We need to get everybody on board as far as how to, you know, truly get control of their habits. We love you. and. Uh, there will be questions coming and we'll definitely share it with you as well. And, and looking forward to many more conversations. Absolutely. Thank you so much. We're grateful to you, Howie, and we love you. Oh, love you guys too. Such an honor to be in this conversation and to just be able to, to think and talk and, and this is so much fun. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And I think I'll take the liberty of speaking for everyone here in the community and that we, we, everybody really, really appreciated this conversation. And uh, I think a lot of us are going to go back and listen to this again and again. This is beautiful. Cool. Thank you so much. We love you. Thank you.